Is there a single tool the food industry can rely on to solve two of its biggest issues going forward? My guests and I attempt to answer that question during this week's episode of the Food for Thought podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Erin Holstrom. On the podcast with me today is Robert Hirsch. Robert is the National Managing Principal in Manufacturing and Food and Beverage for Grant Thornton. Throughout the next half hour, we're talking about the results of the firm's 2020 Digital Supply Chain Survey, as well as touching upon Food Processing's own 2021 Capital Spending Outlook. We cover a lot of ground in 30 minutes, including talking about how food and beverage processors can become better equipped at assessing supply chain risks, as well as discussing how digitalization and other technologies are playing a significant role in the future of the food and beverage workforce. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Food for Thought podcast. Hi, thanks, Erin. Good. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Grant Thornton recently released its 2020 Supply Chain Survey findings. Can you talk about some of the highlights of that study? Yeah, sure, Aaron. Yeah, no, no problem. So, so you know, we did we did a fairly in depth survey, but like some of the things just personally that stand out in you know, from in, in my perspective, talking to my food and beverage clients, but not only actually not only just food and beverage clients, but actually manufacturing clients in general, um, are a couple things. Um, the, the, the risk around supply chain has become very prominent, a very you know, top of mind type of subject um, for, you know, for our clients, both on the, you know, the, I'll say on the, on the CFO side as well as on the operational side. I think that the, the, high, the, the, the survey also highlighted sort of the people aspects of, of um, like the, the risks and the execution around supply chain. And then, and then also it's, it also comes down to the people side, right? So if we start kind of pulling the, pulling the onion back on, on some of those things, on, you know, on the operational side, there's been a lot, of, a lot of talk, a lot of writing in the press around the, I'll just say the reshoring or the re-optimization of supply chain. So that came, I think that came out sort of loud and clear in, you know, in the survey. What was interesting around that, though, is although everybody in general, a large portion of the population knows that that's going to happen or needs to happen, the actual actioning of that reshoring, reoptimization turns out to be harder than anyone expected, just due to integrated supply chains, due to um, you know, supplier availability and how comfortable some of those international, specifically supply chains, have become. Um, on the people side, what we're seeing is there is just a lack of skill sets and um, you know, supply of skills up and down the food chain. So from, so from sort of shop floor or um, you know, you know, unskilled labor, shop floor type of skills, all the way up to the C-suite, we're seeing across the board sort of a, a, a lack of availability of those, of those skill sets. And we can get into that in a little bit more detail later on. Um, and then also not surprising, but also sort of interesting at the same time is the um, the focus on technology. And all of these things are kind of interrelated. So when you talk about technology, one of the, some of the things that are driving that interest in technology is kind of the lack of skill sets being able 
you know, being able to apply skill sets into the, you know, into that manufacturing, into that food and beverage ecosystem. And you also need technology and skill sets to re-optimize the supply chain. So all these, none of these things sort of stand out on their own. They're all very interrelated. But if you think about it, it always comes down to process and what you're doing, right? That's the optimization of supply chain. Um, the people aspect of it, how are you going to, you know, to develop skills and find the right, you know, find the right people at the right time and also give them sort of career path so that they're growing um, in that. And then there's also the technology. So it always, it always, you know, I've been doing this consulting thing for a long time. It always comes back to people, process, and technology. And although the, the issues kind of change, the, the fundamentals are always the same, people, process, and technology, and how you apply those in a competitive way to gain competitive advantage. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know in our uh, season one of this podcast, I talked to someone about food and beverage and the skill set of people on the plant floor and how how much lack there is for people on the plant floor. And I just I was in awe. It's yeah. interesting that you bring that up. I you know. It's almost that bias of the more you hear something, the more you realize, like, yeah, wow, this isn't just one or two people who think it. It's definitely, it, 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 uh, there's a higher frequency of hearing this. Yep, and it, it yeah. is pervasive. It's not, like I say, it's, it's a manufacturing in general at sort of a macro level. There's, you know, it's an issue in manufacturing, but, you know, it's specifically in food and beverage. And, and Aaron, let me kind of expand on what we're seeing there, too. So if, yeah, Pick a you know pick a you know pick a food and you know like a, a food manufacturer and they've got issues at the shop floor where they can't find enough you know skilled resources to to not only man the high tech you know high tech manufacturing process but but it's also as you move up the supply chain right and so there are a couple things that are going on and one of them is there's sort of a lack of training and lack of skills development in the overall economy. And, that, and I, I look to our, our educational system for that. But there's also that specific need for a given, you know, for a given organization, for a, a given food and beverage manufacturer. And so what we're seeing with our clients is those individual companies are trying to fill that gap on their own. And it comes in a couple of different flavors. It's, it's getting like the right skill set, like, on the in you know you know to that or enabling a shop floor um you know shop floor worker uh to do their job better right there's that sort of that that education at that level but what we're also coming to find is there's a career uh, there's a career progression career path aspect of this that our clients are starting to address because then it becomes it becomes a retention issue so once you train and you know, enable a workforce with those skill sets, they become very marketable, and you have to start presenting a broader opportunity, a broader career path, a, a better economic outcome for those individuals once they become more valuable. So, so it, it's, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy that once you start down that road, you've got to really accelerate it so that the, the retention of those skills becomes ingrained in not only the skill retention, but the culture of an organization. And so that, that, that constant evolution, that constant fulfillment of the, of the, the human capital that you're, you're investing in is something that's long-term for our clients or, or long-term for an organization. I, I want to come back to the workforce thing, but before we do that, okay. can we go back and talk about some supply chain, specifically supply chain risk? I know that was a big finding. You talked about it before, and then also I read a lot about it in the study. 
I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Do you think without the pandemic in 2020, manufacturers would have uncovered the vulnerabilities that we saw? So I, so I, the, the quick answer is an absolute yes. I think the variable here, you know, is, is the timeline, right? Because because these things naturally expose themselves at some point in time. If there's a risk out there, it's going to be exposed. But you know, in in a normal time, they would have been exposed, you know, over you know over some period of time where you might have gotten an inkling of them or been able to react to them, or maybe not. But but it wouldn't have happened all at once. I think what the pandemic did for us. Um, as you know, as an economy, as a global economy, is it, it exposed those risks in a very short period of time. And those risks have a couple of different dimensions. It's it's foreign. You know, it could be you know the risk of a foreign supply chain that's not secure. It could be um, you know you, we we saw a lot of hoarding early on in the pandemic, right? So that that also puts a a um, uh, you know, a stress on a supply chain. It could even be down to the back again to the people aspect because people weren't coming to work or or were being exposed. So we had to be very you know very careful on the not only the security of the supply chain but the security of the workplace of the people executing in that supply chain. So again, I think it comes down to a lot of a lot of different dimensions, but that risk was exposed more acutely because of the time you know the time dimension. Where in a normal time it would have probably come to um, to to the forefront, you know, maybe through more geopolitical type of stresses or something else in the supply chain, and in the pandemic really kind of brought all that to bear all at once. Does that make sense, Aaron? Is that does that ring true with what you've read? Well, yeah, it does. It does. And actually, that leads me to my next question. It's a perfect lead-in. How can food and beverage processors? become better at identifying their risks for the future. So you had said, you know, yes, it would have uncovered, we would have uncovered it, you know, we maybe had the blessing, quote unquote, of this huge thing, but how going forward can processors become better at identifying these risks? The, the, the real answer, and this is, you know, the real is that you have to have the discipline around it. You have, the, you have to have the formal function of enterprise risk management. You've got to have a methodology to go through that process and constantly have it as a point of conversation or an agenda item you know, from, the, from the board level on down. From, from an overall business strategy and business risk perspective down to financial and operational issues. And it's not something that happens overnight. It's not something that happens by accident, and it should never happen because of something acute that happens that you're not ready for. If you get out in front of these conversations, just the fact of having those conversations and having the discipline, even if the things that, that a management team um, may not even talk about, some of the things that might happen, just having the discipline of, of having a risk-based view of your business, coming up with scenarios or things that might happen, prepares you for the things that ultimately will. So I, I guess to summarize that, can't happen by accident. You've got to have a formal methodology and um, it has to be something that's disciplined where you're doing it on a, you know, on a cadence basis, on a continual basis. So it's always front and center as far as it, it's always front and center as you're making business decisions throughout the planning and execution cycle. Food processing 
has released its annual capital expenditure report. And I know when we, um, when I read the survey, I noticed the, you know, some talking points, and I noticed some talk of, you know, capex, capital projects, what have you. And so, what I wanted to ask is something we've noticed in our own review of financials pointed to how capital projects were paused because of the pandemic, citing capital expenditures being put on hold due to the pandemic. Can you speak to why that would have happened? So, so when the pandemic hit, right, there was so much uncertainty, nobody knew where this was going to go and where their businesses that were, were, were going were to go. So I'm not going to say there was a mentality to hoard cash, but there was certainly a large focus on on cash flow and making, you know, on cash flow and liquidity, right? And this, and, and that happened across the economy, right? Every, every firm, every company was making sure that they had enough cash on hand to get through the crisis. And then it turned out that as bad as the crisis was, that, um, you know, the economy, the economy, for a lot of different reasons that we can get into in another conversation, didn't, didn't necessarily fall off a cliff. There were stresses and there were people that, you know, people in parts of the economy that were hurt very hard. So I don't want to, I don't want to belittle that. But at the same time, the economy kept chugging along, right? And so over time, that sort of confidence curve started to increase. And, and what we're seeing now is, that sort of pent up demand that happened when people were pulling back on their capital expenditures are, is, is starting to loosen up. And I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very certain that what I'm seeing in my business and what I'm seeing in my client's business is, is a freeing up of that capital expenditures. And you're going to start seeing that curve kind of accelerate because capital expenditures, unlike some other parts of the economy, does drive a lot of pent up demand. So I think, I think you're going to start seeing that really pick up speed and that capital spending curve is really going to start accelerating as is going to, is really going to start to accelerate as people get vaccinated, as we get more and more confidence in the economy, you're going to see more and more of that happen. Speaking of that, of that uptick of capital spending, a lot of what we've seen is, you know, many of these companies are talking about plans to invest or improve upon the digitalization within their facilities and plants. Mm-hmm. We've talked a bit about this, but can you speak even more to why that's even more important now? And so I'm going to go back to how I started the conversation, um, Aaron. It's it's people, process, and technology, right? So as you pull back on the risks and sort of the uncertainty of your supply chains, one of the ways to increase the certainty is to do that digital transformation, have the analytics and the machine learning and the artificial intelligence around managing those processes more front and center so you can get out in front of those supply chain risks. Back to the people. When you don't have the right skill sets in the right place, one of the one of the ways to kind of bridge that gap is to apply the right technology, the right automation, the right robotics, whether that's real like real shop floor, you know, real shop floor robotics or it's or it's process robotics, right? Back office type robotics. So that automation is a direct there's a direct correlation to the lack of of skill sets, the difficulty in finding people with the right skill sets. It's a that's a direct outcome of or, you know, the technology. The technology application is a direct outcome of that um, that lack of skill set. And then the technology in of itself. We are in a really cool time in history because there is a lot of 
technology that's coming together at the right time. So you've got like like sophisticated ERP functionality that can be informed by asset management technology that's informed by the Internet of Things. And by tying all those things together with, with that integration, with machine learning, with artificial intelligence, it's just a really cool time in history where that's all coming together in a cross-section that's driving real business benefit um, you know, starting right now. And the other thing that we're, that we're seeing is before when, you know, before I'm saying I'm talking maybe 10, 20 years ago when we were, when you were applying technology, it was a heavy lift. It was a big project. It was uh, a long-term type of, you know, type of effort, right? Now with cloud technology and some of the automation that we've got, you don't have to jump, you know, headlong into it right away. You can kind of go down a curve where, you're not making large capital investments in this technology all at once, but you can incrementally roll out the technology, see what works, see what doesn't. So the risk curve on the technology itself has been dampened. And so what I think we're going to see, in fact, I know what we're going to see, is an acceleration of that of the application of the technology in the automation, in the robotics, in, you know, in the AI and machine machine learning space, because you can do it in a way where you don't have to take it on all at once, but you can do it in a incremental, very well-managed, very focused space to drive real business benefits. Speaking of that acceleration, in the supply chain report, your team talks about analytical and predictive tools, human-centric mm -hmm. augmentation, and autonomous mm -hmm. devices. Can you unpack that and talk a little more about what that is or what that entails? Again, I'm going to go back to how you roll out the technology and, and you know and enable and, you know enable a workforce to be real world class or improve the outcomes, right? So conversations that I have with my clients and where I like to guide the you know guide the the thought process and in the actions around that is let's start with something that is business critical or or can move the needle on the financials. What what we like to do and when you talk about packing all that stuff, what I like to do is start with the conversation around. What's capital planning? What does your capital planning and budgeting look like? And how do you start uh, deploying that capital in a way that you can measure it back to the financial performance? And if you start taking that view, start taking a portfolio view of how you deploy your capital, how you deploy capital assets and the workforce to those capital assets it becomes an easier conversation. So all the things that you just talked about, about the predictive analytics, the uh, you know, Internet of Things, and how you pull all of that into a monitoring and predictive environment becomes a lot easier and a lot simpler you know, in that environment. So what we like to do is talk about capital planning, talk about deployed capital assets, talk about optimizing a supply chain, but do it in a way where you're applying the capital, applying assets, applying people in a way that is incremental so you can see the effect on the financials and then you grow for there, from there and build momentum and confidence in how you roll out those advanced technologies. When a client comes to me and starts talking about predictive analytics or the Internet of Things, where I try to kind of like tap the brakes on that is let's be very pragmatic on how we apply those things so that you can see the, the benefit of those things 
so that it builds momentum and confidence in the organization. I want to, as we go into kind of wrapping up the episode, I really want to hone back in on the people and the workforce so our listeners can really get a full grasp and have some maybe some actionable items and tasks to take from this episode. Can you speak to how people and the workforce in general have played into the supply chain issues and what we can do going forward to alleviate some of the issues that we've seen. In my view, and I say, and this this is kind of a point of view that I've that I've come across talking to you know talking to economists both within Grant Thornton externally, talking to business leaders, talking to you know talking to my clients, and just having kind of this conversation. It. It, it sounds simplistic, but it all comes down to education. And I think there are two levels to that. I alluded to this earlier. There are two levels. That there's there's the educational issues of kind of our, our um, overall educational ecosystem, right? And we really haven't invested in that ecosystem in something like 30, you know, 30 or 40 years. So I think we've got to have as an overall economy, as an as a country, and we need to get a, a better focus on the skill sets that we need to compete in the global economy. So that's one issue in my mind. The other thing that that our clients and that and hopefully the listeners to this podcast can do is is take that view of education and make it very practical to the workforce that you employ and take a view of that that's not just getting an individual skill to a person that's going to do something, say, on a shop floor or, you know, working a piece of equipment. Take a broader sense of that. So, so take an individual, think about career path, think about retention, and it's not just sort of one and done type of education. Take a long-term view of how you're going to invest in an individual move them along a career path, move them along a, a spectrum of how to make them a more valuable employee and give them those skills, whether that's you know, statistical process control, whether that's, that's engineering a CNC machine or, or programming a CNC machine or, or basic business skills, like how do you read a balance sheet? How do you read a, you know, an income statement? Those are the types of things that you really have to look at and put it in a broader text, in a broader scenario, broader talk track, um, so that it's long-term and it's not point-based because that's how you'll, reta- you'll attract the right skills, you'll uh, retain those skills, and your organization is going to become um, more viable, more profitable in the long term. I really hope at least one or two people listening today take something from that and do something with that and then maybe come back and tell me about it, and we can have them on the podcast and how they took your advice. I, I, I yeah. hope so too, Aaron. And I would I would love to participate in those conversations. It would be an, that would be a yeah. great thing. Yes, yes. Well, for everyone listening, if anyone does do that, please let me know, and yeah, we'll get uh, Bob in on the conversation. And I think that would make a great podcast episode. So, Bob. Thank you so much for joining me today. There's so much good information. Um, I, I know we barely scratched the surface. Um, only so much we can fit into one single podcast episode. But I want to say thank you for joining me today, and thanks for being on the Food for Thought podcast. Thanks, Aaron. Any anytime. It's an honor to be talking to you today. Thank you so much.
For everyone listening to the Food for Thought podcast today, thank you for tuning in. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about everywhere you can listen to a podcast. Be sure to tune in next time as we talk more about the stories behind the headlines of the food and beverage industry. Take care. Have a great day.